1: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com dot slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews Podcast. Brighten your day with a book.
2: Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well, although we have a catastrophe here. The coffee machine is not working. Instead of just having a nice green colour, it is flashing orange. And that's quite a serious situation. So we are doing this without any coffee at all. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll just we'll just get through it together and we'll be all right. But that's how bad things are today. Anyway, I've got lots of brilliant books to talk to you about. I've got a great author interview and we've got some questions. Do I call them reader questions, listeners questions? Obviously, you're listening to the podcast, but you're reading lots of books. So anyway, let's just say I've had some reader listener questions. Oh, dear. Anyway, so Claire has a uh, emailed me. We've got three questions from Claire. And I admit, I haven't responded to these questions straight away because I suppose they're they're about my real life. And I don't know, I try and keep uh, real real life and uh, book life separate a bit. So, But no, Claire has asked. And so I'm answering them. So the first question Claire has asked is, where do you live? Now, I live in a place called Shropshire, or as local people refer to it as the Shire, and we're on the border of Wales. Beautiful, beautiful part, um, and it's where I grew up. And after travelling the world, <laughs> it sounds very grand, but after war- working um, abroad and uh, round in the U- round the UK, moved back here once we had kids to inflict the same childhood on them that uh, that I had. Um, so that's where I live. Um, the next question: What is your work? Well, yes. So I am involved. I'll just say I'm involved in the world of investments. That That's what I do. So when I don't have my nose in a book, I am looking at the FTSE and all the stock markets and keeping a constant eye on what goes on. So that's my work. Now, the final question, what genre would your novel be? Mm, Claire, now I... I don't know if you're asking this because you've heard me waffle on about the book that I attempted to write. And obviously it was a complete disaster. um, Or if I've got one in mind. And I suppose I've got two quite different answers for that. So the first um, part answer. See, this is what happens when I don't have coffee. I can't even string a sentence together. Um, The book that I have written is a a children's book, like a a mid-grade book. So age 8 to 12. And it's as near to a griplet as you can get. So what I love in adult thriller books is the fact that you want to keep turning the pages, that it's got twists and turns and shocks and surprises. And I just felt reading some of the books with the kids that that they didn't always have that. Yes, they might have I don't know a wolf in or I don't know something different, um, and be heartbreaking in all different ways and have mysteries. But it, it didn't grip me as much. So I wanted to write a book that did that. Clearly, the only thing it gripped was the bin because it was so bad. Never mind. We won't get into that. Um, (laughs) But I would love to be able to write a sort of thriller detective, something or other, but... Frankly, I think my skills lie more on the reading side and I'm just going to leave the writing to the experts. So that's where I I am. Hopefully Claire has answered your questions Um, and I'm getting more questions come through. So I will answer those. If you've got any questions, email them across. Email them along. Why not? Quickbookreviews at outlook.com. You can get hold of me on Twitter, on Instagram. If you don't mind leaving a nice review on the old podcast app that you use, i would be ever so grateful because it does seem to make a huge difference. We're getting um, so many more listeners now. It's, it's incredible. Um, I mean, the numbers have gone up six times over the last few months alone. So welcome if you're new and welcome again if if you're a regular listener, it's great to have you with me. So I'm going to tell you what books I'm going to review today. I'm going to talk to you in some detail about the first book. Then we're going to talk to the author, because it does seem to be working a bit better having the author in the middle. And then I'll go through the other book. So there's lots to get through today. The first book... It's called Grave's End by William Shaw. And it's William that we're going to be talking to later on, which is very exciting. Um, another book. Are you ready for this? Home Stretch by Graham Norton. Loved Graham's other books. so very keen to talk to you about that one. Um, another different book, Atomic Love by Jenny Fields. Then we've got Take Me Home by Alex Hart. I can't wait to talk to you about that book. And then this is a different one. How to Survive the End of the World by Aaron Gillies. Um, And that was one that the, the world of Twitter recommended to me. Or I should give it its full name. How to Survive the End of the World When It's in Your Own Head. Um, So that was quite an interesting one as well. And a little bit different. But let's dig in, first of all, to Gravesend by William Shaw. Now, um, you'll have heard me talking about some of William's other books. This Gravesend is actually the third in a series that started with Salt Lane then Deadland and then Gravesend, And these are all part of the DS Alexandra Kapidi uh, series. Um, I really like them because they've got some good, strong characters, some gutsy characters, some good sort of mysteries, crimes to solve, some memorable moments. Um, yeah, I... I I do enjoy them. So I was really thrilled to read this one. And I think it's a fair testament to the book, actually, because this one is, let me tell you how many pages, 465 pages long, which is quite a lot. And sometimes when I pick up a book that length, I think, oh, gosh, it's going to take me a while. You know, I like to really plough through a book quite quickly. Um, And the longer it takes me to read a book, the less connected I am to it. I know it's just me being weird, but hey, Whereas this one, it just wasn't an issue. At no point did I think, oh, my goodness, it's that long. It it just flowed. And there's a very interesting character in this book. So let's read the blurb. We've got to start with the blurb. Oh, and what I would say is I think what's great about this is because we're only three books into the series, that you could just start on the third one if you wanted, but you haven't got to plough through twenty or thirty books in this series to begin at the at the beginning. Um, and because Gravesend is currently in hardback, if you are a paperback fan, um, you've got some you know bit of time to wait. So you could really get stuck in with Salt Lane, which is a brilliant book brilliant opening book for the series it's not as if he starts low and works his way up it's a it's a great one to start with um so I think that's quite useful uh, to be able to get into the series at, at the beginning and it only be three books Philippa you're waffling let's let's get on with the blurb so a bizarre discovery an unidentified cadaver is found in a freezer in an unoccupied luxury house no one seems to know or care who it is and who placed it there when D. S. Alexandra Kupeedi is handed the case, she can have no idea it will lead her to a series of murderous cover ups and buried secrets, namely the discovery of the skeleton of public schoolboy Trevor Gray beneath a housing development. His disappearance 25 years earlier has almost passed unnoticed, but as evidence surfaces that his fate was linked to long suppressed rumours of sexual abuse, Cupidi, her teenage daughter Zoe and her friend Bill South find themselves up against powerful forces who will try to silence them. Digging deep into the secrets that are held underground leads to Copedia's realisation that crime and power are seldom far apart. There are dangerous connections between the two cases, which are complicated by Constable Jill Ferreter's dating habits, a secret liaison and the underground life of Trevor Gray's only friend. Um, so That's quite a long blurb. I would just say there's, there's a murder There's a crime to be solved. There's some mysteries. But also in this one, there is an extra character, an extra viewpoint that I don't think I've ever read about before. And it's of a badger. There's a badger in this book. So first of all, you learn things about badgers. Well, I didn't know about, uh, which is incredible and has really made me think more about about badgers. Um, But also they have a very unique viewpoint in the murder uh and in the solving of the murder um and so they're not in there for no reason it it, they have their part to play um and i think because the whole concept of this book is about relationships um and families uh and friendships uh, you find that mirrored in the life of the badger as well um so, yeah, extraordinary. And um, I don't know, did it put me off reading this book? I mean, I got the book because I think William Shaw's a great writer. So I got it. I didn't even need to read the blurb. He's that sort of writer. Um, but maybe I'd left it on my shelves for a few weeks thinking, oh, badger viewpoint. Interesting. But I uh, know. Shame on me. Don't let that put you off. It's brilliant. It adds another layer to it. Um, so, yes. Anyway, enough of me waffling. Let's talk to William now. So let's talk Grave's End. I have just finished it. I'm holding it. I don't know why I'm holding it up to you, William, because <laughs> <laughs> you've seen this book a few times. But anyway, I'm holding it up. Um, but let's just start. It's interesting looking back at your sort of CV. It's fair to say you haven't just started writing. You, you've, you were a journalist. You've done extraordinary things. I'm quite
1: old that's why. I I started doing um, journalism in the early 80s and and, um, magazine journalism was really, really, it was a brilliant place to be because it was the opposite of now in many ways. It was suddenly this great land of opportunity and you could literally walk in off the street and say can I have a job. If you walked into Smith's in sort of about 1982 there'd be like a small shelf of magazines and if you did the same thing in about 1984 it would be an entire wall of magazines. Mm. Uh, and it was that that sudden gold rush into into magazines was really brilliant. And and you know, what had happened is printing costs had suddenly gone down. Uh, and so, and there was this huge great new market for, for colour magazines. And they needed people to write them and they could take any old idiot. And literally I walked into a magazine called Zigzag, which is the punk magazine. I was doing a, I was doing a, a postgraduate journalism course, which was useless. Uh, and, and so instead I wandered down the street and there was a magazine down there and said hi I, 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 I really like the Smiths can I write an article about them and the editor sort of like said yeah come on um, and can you write an article about this dodgy goth band as well and you're in and I had desk within a couple of weeks you know it was like it was like the opposite of now in many ways do you know what I mean extraordinary and i had done that really because I wanted to write I always wanted to write fiction but I kind of thought I had to sort of find a way in and I
2: just took me a very 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 long time to find a way in but you've you've worked abroad in, in all sorts of you know you've you've done some incredible journalism o- o- over the time with some quite scary things as well I was quite lucky
1: I mean like this was at a time you know in as the 80s sort of went on to the 90s I moved from writing about music to writing for um, uh, more you know sort of more general interest magazines and I was working for an American magazine called Details. And they um, were quite interested in these long-form journalist stories. And so I got to just write stuff I really wanted to. It was great, right, great. And so I, I, I got quite into that sort of thing that in America, they call it narrative nonfiction because I really like fiction books. I wanted to write stuff like that. So I... I um, would really get involved in a world and try and understand it and write it. So the first book I wrote was a, a sort of co-wrote an oral history of New Age travellers, which at the time was a big sort of moral panic about these travellers invading the countryside. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a book about religious cults, which my editor said, "Oh, you've done that. Now I'll do cults because Waco was happening at the time." Uh, and she said, "Oh, they're interesting." So I went and joined a whole lot of religious cults for a year, and um, and kind of got it. And it was it was wonderful. Just having the opportunity to do that the idea that anybody wanted anybody to write about that stuff was was great and so I went then and lived out in Los Angeles for a while writing a book about I'd interviewed all these hip-hop stars for a magazine called details and they all told me there's amazing stories about their lives you realize that a lot of that west coast hip-hop they weren't just bragging a lot of that stuff and the more violent stuff was actually a kind of reportage Mm. and yet you were seeing them in a posh hotel in Los Angeles or in New York or in London far away from the environment they were writing about so i thought it'd be really good to go and speak to young men in los angeles in 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 the south central um sort of ghetto area and actually talk to them about their lives the ones who wanted to be hip hoppers at the point when they were living those lives Mm. and so it was like a complete eye-opening world for a a middle-class geeky middle-aged (laughs) sort of white boy suddenly to be given this access into these lives that were quite often horrendous i mean it was Mm. a really bad time for young african-american men in los angeles And yet they were very, um, they all wanted to tell their story. I was really intimidated at first thinking, oh my goodness, I just feel such a a twit going down there. But actually once you said, no, I just want to hear your stories, they kind of got it because Mm -hmm. nobody was listening to their stories. That's why they had to get attention through hip hop and and, and rap and stuff. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. so if you went there and, and just said, tell me what you're doing, They'd sort of look at you a bit funny and think, okay, I'll tell you what I'm doing. They'd tell you these stories and it would all sort of fall about about things they'd seen and experienced. And the most shocking thing, which sort of leads into, you know, the crime writing thing to a certain extent, was that I then met a whole generation of people who had witnessed and t- been traumatised by murder because they all had. Everybody I met had either witnessed or was, was, had been affected by something that in our lives would have just been catastrophic and horrendous. It was that bad a time. The murder rates oh. were phenomenal. And it was around this kind of epicentre down in, in Los Angeles.
2: Wow I mean what an experience and to meet all those characters and hear all those stories and so you went from that and then suddenly we find ourselves uh, some books later with this three three books in this series so far the Alex Kapidi series where did you get the idea?
1: Well I've been writing books some crime books, crime fiction books set in London in, in the 60s. And I kind of wanted to do something that was more based in a kind of natural history world. I was just interested in that. It just came as a, a sort of um, something, something where the natural world was really another character. And I kind of thought, oh, where can I write about that? And partly it was like a love of Scandi sort of stuff. I love the sort of, you know, you're always aware of the landscape when you're reading mm. a lot of that um, Scandinavian fiction. Uh, and uh, I was thinking, where have we got that's a bit Scandinavian? I thought, oh, Dungeness, just down the road. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, that's bleak, I thought, since I've, I've learned that the last word you should ever use about Dungeness and fence <laughs> everybody who lives there is bleak, <laughs> um, because they see it as a really rich place. And it is a rich place. Um, but anyway, I started thinking, well, in that case, if I'm going to have that landscape. Who lives in it? And, uh, you know, who are the people who kind of would occupy it? And if you don't know Dungeness, it is the most extraordinary sort of weird single spit in the south coast, of kent that kind of sticks out into the channel and it's like this precarious bit of 12 square miles of shingle just that's just pushed up by the tides moving this way and that and then somebody clever put a nuclear power station
2: on it so you know you have everything you want there to have a have a sense yeah of danger. and so you've uh, in some ways perhaps i know the answer to this but i was i was going to ask what came first that the sense of place the the crime or the people because all of them are sort of vying for attention in the in these glorious books what was it that the place it was it was the place
1: and then trying to imagine the people that would be in the place and the characters kind Ah. of place and it was quite an interesting um sort of almost like an exercise i mean i started with a book called the bird watcher and it was like who lives here uh well obviously one of the things about the people who live there is that they a lot of the people who live there are people who want to be kind of on their own because it is it's it's um Mm. it's really sticking out into nowhere and you know the edge of the it feels like the edge of the earth so somebody who wants to be on their own why do they want to be on their own because they've got a secret what's what other things about them well it's one of the greatest places in britain to watch bird migrations it's the first ever rspb reserve um uh, and you know a lot of the people there you meet down there are incredibly knowledgeable about that kind of natural history, mm. and so I just thought, okay, that's my character. I better find out about birds now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, now I admit I haven't read *The Bird Watcher. I've read *Deadland*, *Salt Lane*, *Gravesend*. Um, have have I have I made a mistake there, William? Should I have started with *The Bird*?
1: Of course. Yeah, oh.
2: no, no, you haven't. It's a different. It's kind of it was a,
1: it was in between book. I mean, the series really starts with *Salt Lane*. Um, but the character, Alex Cupidy, came out of, of the bird watcher. She was a character in that she was a secondary character, but I kind of liked her and actually at the time when 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 I spoke to people who read the book they didn 't like her very much because she 's a bit she's a bit she 's a bit hard edged in in the bird yeah. watcher and I thought that's interesting i 'll have her <laughs> <laughs> Perfect so did you always know it 's going to be a series? I did once i started not, not when I wrote the bird watcher, but the moment i I'd, I'd sort of thought, thought a bit about. Alex Cooperney, the character I thought oh right okay this is a series i can see i kind of i gave her a daughter a teenage daughter and and it's kind of like I, their relationship is completely unresolved those two as it off, so often is and i mm-hmm. thought that's really nice because unresolved relationships are perfect for series they can just carry on you know with the sort of mutual love and antagonism that that uh, mothers and daughters often have you know so, but
2: i love the combination because they they're two strong women um, different ages different approaches to life um but having to sort of live and and rub along together brilliantly strong characters have you always been character driven um
1: i always worry that i'm not you know that, my, that i don't know enough about my characters and i've learned that in after a while that actually that's probably about right that you don't you know I, I used to get really intimidated by people saying, oh, you need to know everything about your character before you can write. (laughs) I think it's the opposite. You know, I don't know everything about my neighbors. I don't know everything about my wife even. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the bits you don't know that, that make the story actually. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, what I've learned is, yes, it's character driven, but it's, it's, it's character driven in that curious way that you're always trying to find out about people, aren't you? And even the ones, I know it sounds very, very lardy dar, but even the ones you write, you don't quite fully understand. Mm. They're the best ones, the ones you don't quite get.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I suppose it's not just, the books aren't just characters. You've got these uh, super crimes, murders, sometimes quite technical, but very pacey with twists. Do you enjoy the storytelling?
1: I love it. Mm. I really really love it and I, I really like that sense I think it's one thing I've learned a lot uh, is actually about pace and, and tension if you look at my sort of earlier books they were lovely and expansive and, and stuff like that but I've really learned that sort of thing and actually it was like a, I, I did an event just sort of I live um in Brighton and not very far away from where I live I did an event interviewing Peter James and he was telling me that you know he falls asleep easily when he reads and so that's why he has to make his chapters so pacey because he can't <laughs> read if they are and I was thinking that's quite <laughs> good insight actually can I do the of, Can I make sure that nobody falls asleep in the last couple of lines of any chapter?
2: Uh, yes. Well, you know, and j- lovely. just, it's that thought, oh, just one more chapter, you know, I need to know what happens. Yeah, you know. exactly. And that's
1: kind of the fun of it, isn't it?
2: If you get pulled into a book that way, I mean, you, and you can pull people in in all sorts of subtle
1: ways, and, but you, you need to give them the lovely world that they want to be part of, whether it's a scary world, it's got to be, you know, there's got to be something really, and then you just keep them in by keeping the pages turning.
2: And do you have in mind how long the series is going to be?
1: I have no idea about, about that at all. I mean, all I know is that what I'm really, really worried about is that Zoe, who's the daughter, and this very, very difficult teenage daughter, as I think a lot of teenagers are, can appear to their parents, I mean, the rest of the world thinks she's absolutely marvellous. <laughs> but to her mother, she's really, really <laughs> difficult and hard to understand and, and keep it she's she's 17 but she can't be 17 forever 17 is a perfect age for her i don't want her to grow up so but she's going to she's got to become 18 now because one of the things about contemporary crime is we're not poirot just stuck in amber anymore we've got to yeah. move on we've got to grow and change and, and have bits knocked off us so she's got to get older and i'm not quite sure <laughs> i wanted to keep her 17 but she'll get older so how whether that changes the dynamic in the place that it can, can't stay a series i don't know but at the moment oh. I,
2: keep it going for a while yeah i think as, as a fan of the series it I, i'm interested to see what happens with zoe as she uh leaves the sort of the time of being a teenager if you can call a 17 year old these days a, a teenager i don't know um but you know as as she goes on and, and what path she chooses and how she changes no please don't let that <laughs> don't let don't let that stop you But anyway let's talk badgers, right. I, I I just how did you get the idea to include this wonderful additional element into the book well i i having written the Bird watcher and spoken to a lot to about to bird
1: people to ornithologists about that, I was really fascinated about how much I learned and how often when you learn something about that, it kind of slots into the plot in a really bizarre way, and so I wanted to do something similar again, and I kept thinking around this and I talked to a couple of people who I thought I wanted to do about housing and something like that. I talked to a couple of people who are ecologists and they both said do badgers because badgers are really interesting. They're really contested. They've got legal protections like no other mammal in this country. Uh, So they've got lots of, you know, policey stuff around them already. And then I began reading about them and they're a really fascinating species. I mean, I knew so little about them. And I think, you know, the more I read, the less I understood. And I think that's always good when you're writing stuff. They're really, you know, they live underground. They come out at dark. They may have been here longer than we have and they may have sort of shaped our landscape completely because they you know they they can shift tons and tons of earth every time they um build a set but sets can be hundreds of years old we're just discovering mm. so you've got this species that are kind of really next to us they're really living close to us and we see them all the time dead on motorways but we know very little about how they behave um and, and we're only just beginning to learn some of that stuff through quite you know um clever experiments being done by by um naturalists in observing them because you can't tell what they they don't reveal themselves in the same way because they operate almost entirely by a sense of smell. Uh, you know, they communicate by the smell. That's really hard for us to see, if you know what I mean. So I just love that kind of metaphor about this dark thing living underground that's quite aggressive and grumpy because they, you know, the one thing we have in common for is they will fight. Mm. Uh, they, they will fight to defend their territory, which seems like a very human um, mm. sort of behavior. So I started writing about them. And then about halfway through, I thought, actually, I need to write from the point of view of a badger. And, uh, and given how little you understand, of, we understand the badgers, that was quite interesting. I spoke to all sorts of people and, and I actually live about seven miles from what turned out this guy who has a book I was reading, who's the world's greatest expert on badgers, pretty much. you know. And so I thought I took him out for lunch and said, oh, I want to write about badgers. He said, please don't, please don't tell me you're going to write from the point of view of a badger. <laughs>
2: I, I I learned so much about badgers. I have to say, uh, before I read the book, I was very anti badgers. Uh, having my only experience been when I was a teenager, and I was invited out to a party. My parents insisted instead of going to the party, I go up a hill with them and look for badgers. Oh. And I remember sitting at the top of this hill in the dark, bored out of my mind, and it's put me off badgers Did ever you since. See uh, well no my parents Did said that my parents said that I made so much noise huffing and fuffing uh that I had to be there that no badger would have come anywhere near us but uh it's all your fault <laughs> it's something we can hold against each other forever so no I found it fascinating it's it's made me want to learn more about uh, about badgers uh, is is the badger going to make an entrance in a in another book in the series well
1: there is actually a really grisly badger scene in my next book as a kind of hint to it um uh it's, but i yeah the one that comes out next may may 2021 has has a badger doing something that's quite ghoulish as it happens but um yeah i don't think i can i don't think i can have a badger detective series i think doing this good work
2: <laughs> you never know what what's your favorite part of the writing process is it the the idea stage at the beginning or further on yeah it's the it's it's
1: the um it's the the blank page actually which I know you know I really like that when when stories come together and I hadn't really realized that how much of a muscle that is I mean when you speak to other writers I I sort of say to this thing if you go past a sort of derelict hospital or or a go on holiday and you see a really nice house, don't you just fill it full of stories? And all the writers kind of say, yeah, that's what I do. You know, we do that all the time. It's kind of like, that doesn't everybody. And so I've said this a few times when I'm speaking to readers, and you can see sometimes completely blank faces, and you realise that not everybody's brain is doing that all the time. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we're all a bit diverse in that sort of sense, but it's the one thing that I think writers sort of really nurture in their brains is that filling stories. And so it's a real pleasure when stories actually when they appear and then when they start to make some sense mm. you know because mm. quite a lot of them make no sense at all and you have to leave them uh, <laughs>
2: but, um, and where to, where do you write do you have a particular place that you have to write at or no
1: you- i don't actually i mean like i do i practically i get up and I, i've got we've got a little office that i share with my wife downstairs and we write there or i go off to my shack down in devon which is particularly good for writing but when i was a journalist you'd have to write on planes, trains, mm. crowded rooms. Sure. Um, I used to work for smash hits and there'd be sometimes you'd have two turntables playing music in the same room and you still had to write. So uh. you, you have to just shut out the world and I think it's quite important. I actually don't, whenever you see people with their beautiful writing rooms I sort of go, were you waiting for that room to write? Because if you were, I don't respect yes. you. You should be able to write anyway. You should, you should be able to write in front of a brick wall.
2: Yes. You know?
1: And um, I think in a weird way, if you're not doing that, you're not going to another world.
2: And actually, sometimes I see it that writers who have previously had to write at the kitchen table, suddenly when they do get this writing room, it, it, it changes. They can't, yeah. they can't write as easily. It, um...
1: No. I think, you know, I think that's the thing. Is like if you fetishize writing by having to have the right tools, the right coloured ink or whatever, and things like that, mm. you're kind of building yourself a barrier. Mm. Um, that said, you know... Um, I find that I can't write with a pen now anymore you know I need to keyboard I kind of think yeah. through through that way and it's quite weird
2: how interesting so I was going to say what's next but uh you you've mentioned you're in the middle yeah. of
1: I, I've got another um one which I've finished um which is provisionally called the Trawlerman, and that's set in the trawling industry around um Folkestone and Dungeness and I went out overnight on a trawler for that one that was good <sighs> I remember seeing that. It looked amazing. It was amazing. And it's amazing photographically as well, because you go out when you're on a trawler, you're in the middle of this black. This was a night trawling. He this guy goes out catching um flatfish. And so if you cat they need to be at night, otherwise the net they see the nets coming, apparently. Um, oh. so I was out there and you're basically out in the middle of darkness, and then they switch the light on to do the, the hauling and things like that. And you're in this ball of light in the middle of of um the sea, and it's just it feels really bizarre apart from the fact you are miles from anywhere in a very dangerous place where you can make bad things happen. But you know, it's just any photograph I took on my crap phone came out brilliantly, just because yeah. there's always a seagull just flashing onto the screen or something like that. So it was, it was lovely, too, so, and a really lovely fisherman who took me out there. And of course I wanted to know whether, you know, about, oh, could you lose somebody overboard? And he says, yes, well, that's the way we lost my grandfather. <gasps> wow. So God. it's like, you do get the idea of it being a very dangerous uh, industry
2: and did you did it change the book once you you done that um, I think
1: it I think it it changes the book in, in a subtle way, but what we do when we 're writing crime fiction is we 're asking you to believe in the ridiculous um, in that we live in very safe places and murders don't happen uh very often touching wood um, but we want to read about it we want to explore that kind of Fantasy side and the darkness side and and, and the, the edges of of, of uh, you know how comfortable we are, but I think you can make people believe in the murders if you build a really real world around them. Mm. That's why I'm so interested in the little details about badgers and, and trawling and stuff like that because I think the moment you see that stuff, you begin to think, "Oh, this guy knows what they're talking about. It's a real world." And then you kill somebody, mm. and, and so you've believed in it. And I got this because I am. Um, I've been in a writing group for years and the other guy who's really successful in my writing group is CJ Sanson he's he's sort of part of the group and when he first began to when he first began reading Dissolution for the writers group before it was published what was amazing was the history and you kind of and I didn't know very much about the history and you get it delivered so well yeah totally believe in the history that he can do anything at that point, because you believe, you know that's true, and so it's a li- i think that's why crime writing so interesting. There's bits you know are true, and there's bits you know are dark fantasy, and it's constantly playing against each other. So I think it changes the book in that it makes you believe that I know what I'm talking about because I'm mentioning little bits about uh, the trawling industry. The f- I wrote it. I, I wrote the chapter first, and then I had to go back and rewrite it because uh, I got so many details wrong. Uh, and I think that's kind of you know important you know you need to believe that I've got some authority in a weird way
2: so the trawler men that's its title at the moment out May next year May 13 2021 I do believe fantastic can't wait for that well William thank you so much for joining me today I really appreciate it a real pleasure thank you so much well that was wonderful wasn't it so interesting to hear all these details Um, and that was William Shaw talking about his latest book Gravesend, fantastic. So then we'll come on to Home Stretch by Graham Norton, and this book is um, out now in hardback, ebook, audio. I have really enjoyed Graham Norton's previous books. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. We had um, Holding and a Keeper. We did one as a book club choice as well. And that went down. Everybody just just loved it. Um, I do quite like to listen to the audio books as well, because Graham normally narrates them. I don't know if he's narrated Home Stretch because uh, I've actually had the book this time. But it's lovely to hear his voice and the um, just giving life, breathing life to the characters that, that he's created. Anyway, let me tell you about this glorious book, Home Stretch. It is 1987 and a small Irish community is preparing for a wedding. The day before the ceremony, a group of young friends, including bride and groom, drive out to the beach. There is an accident. Three survive, but three are killed. The lives of the families are shattered and the rifts between them are felt throughout the small town. Connor is one of the survivors, but staying among the angry and the mourning is almost as hard as living with the shame of having been the driver. He leaves the only place he knows for another life, taking his secrets with him. Travelling first to Liverpool, then London, he makes a home of sorts for himself in New York. The city provides shelter and possibility for the displaced. Somewhere, Connor can forget his past and forge a new life. But the secrets, the unspoken longings and regrets that have come to haunt those left behind, will not be silenced. And before long, Connor will have to confront his past. Well, uh, an extraordinary book um it's a very sort of quiet moderated measured book in that it's a, it's about this awful thing but it's not you've not got a you know a cop wading in and a shootout and the um you know awful uh crimes to be solved you've got just the effect on people it's about people and and it's wonderful um so if if you will only read crimes and thrillers then this book is not for you but i would urge you even if those are the ones that you've kept to to just read something different and 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 this is one um i admit it comes very close to the bone this book in terms of how how the story starts and the impact on the community um in terms of stuff i've gone through and, and experienced um so it really oh my goodness it did touch a, a, a real nerve for me um, but the book is so much more than that. And coming on from the back of reading The Heart's Invisible Furies, um, uh, th- there's so much that this book has to say. And I don't want to give anything away about the story, but I, I just thought it was it was a great book. Um, how this man can do all that he does on the radio and the TV and write books like this. I just don't know Um you know, he, I hope he's rewriting the next one because they're, they're just glorious books. Uh, really, really good. So it's Home Stretch by Graham Norton. I just thought it was beautifully written, well plotted, really would resonate with you. Um, you know, if you liked a keeper, if you liked holding, you're going to love this. This man can seriously write. Um, so that's Homestretch by Graham Norton. Thoroughly enjoyed that one. Now we come on to Atomic Love uh, by Jenny Fields. Now, this is a different one. Let me read you the the blurb on on this one. Um, Rosalind Porter has history. As one of the leading young scientists working on the Manhattan Project, she helped end the Second World War by inventing the world's most terrible weapon. Only her passion for colleague Thomas Weaver burned as brightly. But the end of both affairs left her feeling guilt-ridden and heartbroken. Five years later in Chicago, Weaver is back in touch. Roz, however, is hesitant. For FBI agent and damaged prisoner of war, Charlie Sidlow suspects Weaver of passing nuclear secrets to Russia and he's asking Roz to spy on her former lover. Roz, torn between the man she never stopped loving and drawn to this wounded but demanding agent, reluctantly agrees. A pawn in a deadly game, Ros faces both terrible danger and a heartbreaking choice, believing the man who taught her how to love or trusting in the man her love might save. So uh, it is a different book, isn't it? And it's got this very different um, cover on it. Uh, Atomic is in white, love is in red, as is the author's name. And then this this picture of uh, a a woman and a man, sort of, yeah, 1940s, 50s, um, and with uh, it's all in black and white except for this red scarf, this red neckerchief, uh, which is very enticing. And I like it that it is slightly different um, compared to a lot of other covers that we see. So this book for me is about the combination of, and that's what makes it different, spies, science, and love. And I think for me, I was expecting a lot more of the spies and the science. And there's a lot more about the love. So I went in. It's my fault. I went in with the wrong assumptions of what the book would be about. Um, and I I wish I hadn't had that in my mind because it just took me a while to sort of um, get into it. No, I did get into it really quickly, actually. So I don't know why. Just to really get. Um, go with the story, I suppose. Um, But it's brilliantly written, very good. And as I say, it's my fault for for thinking that. I thought this combination of love spies and and chemistry and of science was was really captivating It was an engaging story very different um, but for me at its core it's a it's a book about love and trust and i'm not saying that's not what the book makes itself out to be it was just i wasn't quite sort of with it until i really got into the story um but yeah, I thought it was one. And it's one because it goes between genres as well. That's quite interesting. And, and I like that pushing, pushing the boundaries. And this story at its centre is, is extraordinary. So um, if you're if that sounds like something up your street, if you like the idea of sort of espionage, um, the science, love, some good female characters, then that would definitely be one for you. Fabulous. Now, the next book I need to talk to you about is amazing. Uh, go out immediately and purchase this book. It's by Alex Hart. It's out now. It's called Take Me Home. You can get it in paperback, audiobook, ebook. Um And uh, let, well, let's, let me read you the blurb first of all. How much would you risk for a child who isn't yours? Struggling journalist Harper returns a dress to the shop she bought it from that morning and sees the same little girl sitting in the exact same place she saw her hours ago. No one in the shop knows who the girl is. No desperate parents have contacted mall security and local police have no new reports of a missing child. The girl says she misses her mother. But why is nobody looking for her? And what if finding her home is the worst thing you could do? Uh, I got this book. It arrived um, Saturday morning. I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. I even offered to cook lunch, which is saying something so that I could carry on reading the book while cooking. Um, It's brilliant. I have to say, though, I don't I don't like the cover. I'm sorry. Um, It's the first time it's really not suited the book for me. And that's just a very personal view. Um, on the front of it is a sort of the trunk of a tree with a, a poster pinned onto it, a photo of a, a little girl at um, her back. Uh, so you don't see her face. Um, and uh, it's about, you know, a child is missing, but why is nobody looking for her? And I like that tagline. But, for, but it, I think in some ways... Um, that might have put me off reading the book, because as a parent, I do get, well, you don't have to be a parent to get worked up about these things. But personally, as a parent, I find uh, that since I've had kids, um, reading a book about a child going missing or, you know, awful things happening with a child, it's um, it can sometimes be too much for me. And yet, this this book is not a problem for me um, because you have got this extraordinary event, this child being found, um, but it's about it's about the characters. It, uh, this this journalist Harper, uh, just a great lead character, really good. It's got fantastic pace, um, good plot, good twists and turns. It's a sort of a, a thriller. Um, a crime in that a child's been left. Um, but I, I just want book two in this series immediately. Alex Hart is clearly an accomplished author. Um, I believe this is her first, first book, actually. Well, it is, um, although she's done a lot of other types of writing. Um, but uh, Alex needs to be, hopefully, writing, tapping away on the old keyboard uh, as I'm saying this, because I want book two and I want book three straight away it, in a way it's a shame it's coming out or it came out this month which is such a busy month um but nevertheless don't don't let the the big titles stop you from getting this book take me home is a great one and it's not just about a, a girl and you know anything awful it's not that it it's just it's a great thriller And uh, I really liked it. It's a 10 out of 10 from me. Really good book. So there we go. That's that one. Now, the final one, which is a little bit strange. You know, I do like to include a few different strange books. Well, this is certainly one. Um, So there was a conversation on Twitter about the delights of lockdown, the delights of anxiety and managing it. And someone said, this book, everyone needs to read this book. It's an anxiety survival guide. How to survive the end of the world when it's in your own head by Aaron Gillis. So I thought, right, well, let's let's get a copy of this. Um, We could all do with a bit of help. And the blurb is this. There are plenty of books out there on how to survive a zombie apocalypse, all out nuclear war or Armageddon. But what happens when it's feeling like the world is ending every single time you wake up? That's what having anxiety is like and how to survive the end of the world when it's in your own head is here to help or at least make you realise you're not so alone. From helping readers identify the enemy to safeguarding the vulnerable areas of their lives, Aaron Gillies examines the impact of anxiety, gives readers some tools to fight back, whether with medication, therapy, CBT, coping techniques or simply by laughing in its face. And I think that's what this book does really well. And I'm not saying that... um, Anxiety is, you know, a funny, humorous, ha-ha subject. Crikey, I suffer from it. So I, I, I know full well how restrict life restricting it can be. But um, what I liked about this book is, yeah, it, it made me laugh. It sort of looked for the humour in situations, really awful situations that the, the author has experienced. He was able to see it as sort of glass half full rather than half empty. Um, and I found that, <clears throat> excuse me, oh, there's, a, there's a crack in my voice there. Don't worry, it's not that I've been moved to tears. It's just that, yes, I need my cup of coffee, my missing cup of coffee, and <laughs> um, But yeah, I I did find it helpful. For me, though, where I wanted more was that um, I want a book that does everything. I want it to let me see that anxiety is perfectly normal. I want it to give me ideas and tips of what I can do for me. And I think the, the book covered so much that it wasn't the complete solution for me. Yeah, I suppose I want one book that does everything. And it's not going to be like that. Maybe I need to do a special episode on anxiety, or maybe I'd get anxious preparing for that. Hey ho, who knows? Um, But if you're just looking for something that you can dip in and out of, it's not going to change your world. But if it just helps you feel a bit more normal, then I think it's a a good read. And if there's someone you know who's going through it, it could be good. I do have to warn you, there are swear words in this book. So if you're easily offended, then maybe it's not for you. But otherwise, if you just want to feel a bit more normal about things, then um, this could be for you and it could be really helpful. So I think we've covered quite a range of books. We've had William Shaw's Gravesend, fantastic. Graham Norton, Homestretch, wonderful, so different to some of the crime books that I feature, but just a a lovely book. And I could almost hear Graham Norton reading it, narrating the book as I was reading the pages. We had um, Atomic Love, of course, by Jenny Fields. We had Take Me Home by Alex Hart. If you haven't already bought that book, listening to me talking about it, please do so. Um, And How to Survive the End of the World by Aaron Gillis. So five Quite different books there, but lots to think about. And I thought William Shaw was great. He's done so much to support so many authors over lockdown. Um, He just started interviewing different people. Um, Different authors every day, and he puts so much of his time into that. So he's a a genuine nice guy and is to be applauded. There we go. That's the end of my lecture. Anyway, um, you will be surprised or not to hear that I have some brilliant books to talk to you about next week. Can't wait for that. Great author interview. So take care, and I'll see you again very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast.
0: That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. hello?